I want you to see as we read this text, I want you to think about the characters that are introduced in this text. I want you to think about the events that are taking place and try to imagine these things in your mind and form these things in your mind. And so uh, we can get the most out of this text this morning. There are four kings mentioned in this text. And I want you to, as we read about him, I want you to be able to point them out. There is Jehoram. He is the king of Israel. And then there is Jehoshaphat. He is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Israel and Judah are north and south. The kingdom is divided. And so the northern king is Jehoram. That's Israel. The southern king is Jehoshaphat. That's in Judah there. And then there's a third king that joins them. And this makes up three kings that are together in confederate one with another. And we're not given his name. He is just the king of Edom is who he is. And so king of Israel, king of Judah, king of Edom, they're together and they're going to fight against the king of Moab. His name is Mesha. Verse 4 says, the king of Moab. And it is because Moab is rebelling uh, from under the authority of Israel. For over 150 years at this point, Moab had been under the jurisdiction of the king of Israel and the nation of Israel and they were heavily taxed. They paid tribute to them. In fact, it's listed in verse number 4, everything that they had to give. I'm guessing that was on an annual basis or maybe a semi-annual basis, something like that. We're going to read that in just a moment and you'll see that that's what they had to pay. Well, when Ahab dies, the king of Israel and his sons are in charge now, uh, Misha, king of Moab, he says, here's my chance. Now I don't have to pay taxes anymore. How many of y'all know, and y'all are probably doing some of this right now, y'all are looking for any way you can to get out of paying the taxes you got to pay. Somebody say amen. Well, don't blame Misha here. That's all he's doing. He's just trying to get out of paying what he's got to pay. He's tired of being under the thumb of Israel, and he's rebelling. So the king of Israel, he don't like that. Obviously Jehoram, and so he gets up with Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and then they get a third party involved, Misha, king of Moab, and they're all going to come together and they're going to make sure Moab stays under their thumb. All right? So that is the setting. That is what's going on. With that in mind, let's read some Scripture this morning and let's stay, let's stay uh, attentive to the Word of God. Verse number 1, 2 Kings chapter 3. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. That's Ahab and Jezebel. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? 
And he answered the way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey. And there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And, he came, and it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. That the valley shall be, yet the valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beast. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand, and ye shall smite every fence city, and every choice city, and every good tree, and shall fell every good tree, and stop all wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. I want to stop reading right there and I want you to note that our text this morning is introducing us to this new king of Israel by the name of Jehoram. If you remember chapter number 1, I preached a message from that some weeks ago about Ahaziah who fell, remember, through the lattice in his upper chamber. He became sick and he turned to idol gods instead of turning to the true and living God. And Elijah pronounced judgment on him because of that. Well, Ahab is the dad. He has passed away. Ahaziah has become king next. Now he has passed away. And now Jehoram is king in his brother's stead, Ahaziah. And so that is where we are. He assumes the throne now, and now he is having to deal with this rebellion of Moab. And from just a quick glance at this text, we can see a couple things working in this text. We can see the problem that man is in. Jehoram goes off to battle with Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, and they find themselves in a wilderness where there is no water, and they have have a fate, a sentence of death that is put on them. They think they're going to they're gonna starve to death. They're going to thirst to death out in this wilderness of Edom while they're pursuing their enemy. Before they can even get to their enemy, they're going to die of thirst in the wilderness. And we see that that's a great problem. But then we also see the power of God in this text. We see the solution of God where God, through the prophet Elisha, grants them and gives them water water in their dry place. And it doesn't come from rain above. It just comes out of nowhere. Just water comes, the Bible says, from the way of Edom and fills these ditches that they had dug 
under command of the Word of God. And when I saw that, I could not help but think about the grace of God when I read this text. Because here we see that this wicked king, Jehoram, gets himself into a big jam. He gets himself into a big problem. He's out in the middle of nowhere and he's about to thirst to death, him and all the people that he has invited and led out there and out in the middle of nowhere, from nowhere, God comes through and gives them water in their wilderness. And I want to tell you what that is. Anytime you get yourself in a big jam, you get yourself in trouble because of your own foolish decisions and foolish choices that you have made, and yet God still comes through anyway, and He takes care of you, and He helps you even when it's your own fault for what you've done, but God sustains you, and God helps you anyway. I'm going to tell you what that's called right there. That's called grace. That's called we don't deserve it. We deserve to die in the wilderness because of our own stupid choices and stupid decisions. But yet God answers our prayer anyway. God hears our prayer anyway. God sees our plight anyway. And He has mercy on us. And He gives us grace in the wilderness even when we don't deserve it. That is the grace of God right there. And I just want to preach on that thought just for a few minutes tonight, uh, this morning on grace in a dry place. Grace in a dry place. Several months ago I preached on grace and of this place and of that place. And so I don't know what series I'm in. I don't know if I'm going back to that or if this is a part of Elisha or whatever. I just know that that's what I want to preach on this morning. Grace in a dry place. How God can give you grace even when you are in a dry place. And before we get to that, let me give you just a a couple observations from the text uh, this morning. And I, this kind of set, set us up for where we're going and, and, and where God has us at this morning. I, I, I see a couple things I want to point out. First of all, I want to make this observation. God reviews all. God reviews all. He sees all. He knows all. He knows everything that's going on. It's amazing to me when the Bible introduces us to this man Jehoram, we are told in verse number 2, notice verse 2, it says, that he wrought evil. Now look here. It says, in the sight of the Lord. His evil was in the sight of the Lord. By the way, so is yours. So is mine. The eyes of the Lord, the Bible says, are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God reviews all. He sees all. And while Jehoram did not acknowledge Jehovah God as the only one true and living God, there was that did not change the fact that there was a God in heaven who was watching him, who knew his heart, who knew his situation, who knew what was going on. God is reviewing and He is viewing all of our actions. God reviews all. It was in the sight of the Lord. May we learn to live our life in the fear of God and in the fear of the Lord. Everything you do is in the sight of God. Everything you do, He sees it all, whether you acknowledge Him or not. But not only that, God reviews all, but secondly, I just want to make this observation, God requires all. God requires all. There's a very interesting uh, statement made about Jehoram. It says that he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 2. But now notice this next part. It says, but not like his father and like his mother. 
For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. That's a very interesting statement about the life of Jehoram. It said that he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his mom and dad. Not like his father. God acknowledged the fact that he wasn't as bad as he could have been. But then God also acknowledges the fact that he was not as good as he should have been. He was not as bad as he could have been, but he was not as good as he should have been. And when I think about that, I see that God is pointing out to us that halfway is not good enough with God. He requires all. He requires all of our heart. And listen, it was a good thing that he wasn't... Listen, I guess he could point and say, well, I'm not as bad as my daddy, and I'm not as bad as my mama. Isn't that what we do all the time? Don't we like to compare ourselves among ourselves? We say, well, at least I'm not like that person over there. I may not be everything I ought to be, but at least I ain't as bad as that one. At least I ain't as bad as that one over there. Can I tell you something? God don't, he don't care who you're compared to and all those things. Listen, if you're going to compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to the perfect, precious, spotless, blameless Son of God. He is our standard. And when we measure ourselves against Him, we all come woefully short. God requires all. It seems like to me, and later on in the text, I think there's some other hints to this, that He put away Baal. Yes, He did. But at the same time, I think there was secretly, there was idolatry in His heart. He allowed idolatry to go. Even though He put away what was the, the, the public representation of idolatry in the land, there was still idolatry going on under His watch, being promoted, being permitted by Him, and even inside of His own heart. And can I tell you something? If you're going to go all, way, all the way with God, it better be more than just an outward show. It said that he put away the image of Baal. That's what he did for everybody to see, but on the inside he wasn't right. I'm going to tell you something. God requires all, not just you being right on the outside, but he wants you to be right on the inside as well. This man only went halfway. He was a halfway guy. Wasn't as bad as he could have been, but he wasn't as good as he should have been. Right there in the middle. God reviews all. God requires all. I made this other observation here. God releases all. He releases all. What, what do I mean by that? Well, Jehoram is acting of his own free will as he gathers these kings together and he goes into the wilderness of Edom. It's amazing. This is his idea. It's what he wants to do. He goes to Jehoshaphat. He goes to the king of Edom. And now he's going to go against Moab. They even decide. He even decides, verse 8, he decides which way they're going to go and the route and all those things. And he has decided all these things that he's going to do. And yet, it's amazing to me, when he gets in trouble... Look at verse number 10. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Listen, this is Jehoram's doing. This is his decision. This is his plan coming to fruition. This is exactly everything he put down on paper and, 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 and recruited people to help him do. And yet when he gets in trouble, what does he do? He blames God for it. He said, man, God's done this. Can I tell you something? That's not sovereignty. That's stupidity is what that is. Quit blaming on God what you got yourself in. Yeah, man. I'm going to need a better amen right there. Quit blaming God for the mess you got yourself in. And you can sit there in your mess and blame God all day long if you want to, but it ain't going to get you anywhere. 
Some of you, well, this is God. This is the hand of God. God's doing this. Listen, God, I believe God's a sovereign God. I believe He's in control. But most of the junk we get involved in, God don't have anything to do with it. It's our own stupidity. Say amen right there. It's easier to blame stuff on sovereignty than it is our own stupidity. Amen. I like what I saw one sign that said, it said everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. <laughs> That's most of the reason for my problems, amen. I don't know about you. but God released him to do whatever it is he wants to do and he gets himself into a mess and God will release us to fulfill our own bad ideas. In fact, that is the worst judgment of God of all. In Romans 1, you can read where God just gives them over. He gives them up to do what? To do whatever you want to do. That's the worst thing God could ever let us do is whatever we want to do. We get ourselves in a mess every single time, don't we? When we're not right with Him. And God will release you to fill your, fulfill your own bad ideas. And, and sometimes it's so that we'll look to Him for help. And that's what I want to get to this morning. Not only God reviews all and God requires all and God releases all, but I want you to see here where God regards all. And isn't it amazing that God has proven time and time again throughout the Word of God? This is just one of a myriad of stories in the Word of God that we can see that it does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. And it does not matter what you have done. God will give you grace for your situation. And God, if you will come to Him, and if you will call on Him, God has grace for whatever situation that you are in. If God would reach down and look down and help a wicked king like Jehoram. Don't you think he'd be willing to help you today? And you might have found yourself in a dry place. You've gone out farther than you should have went. You didn't make good preparations. You weren't thinking clearly. You didn't make good plans. Or maybe you thought they were good plans and it turns out, man, these aren't good plans for my life. And you feel like you're in a wilderness and you're about to die and you don't know what to do and you don't know the next decision to make. Can I encourage you to look to God this morning because God has grace even in our dry places. And maybe we get that way spiritually sometimes. Yeah, we get dry and we get thirsty and we think, Lord, what have I done? What, what kind of mess have I got myself into here? And I'm here to tell you that we have a gracious God who loves to come through when we don't have anywhere else to turn. I see grace in this text. There's three I want to give you before we go home. Three obvious manifestations of the grace of God in this text that I want to show you and we'll be done. First of all, I see the grace of God in this aspect. I'm going to call it this, the abiding presence. The abiding presence. And what we find here is that this group of kings and their respective militaries, because you not only have these kings, but obviously you have their, their the, the military that they have led out there into the wilderness. You have... A, the armies of Israel and the armies of Edom and the armies of Judah. And they're all out here together. And so I don't know how many men we have here, but 
It's probably a good group and they've marched out into the wilderness. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse 9 that they've gone seven days, a seven days compass. They went around to encompass Moab and they've gone out, way out here. They're so far out they can't get to any water. They're so far out there's nothing to drink. They're way, way, way out here and here they go. They've marched all the way out through the wilderness of Edom for seven days and they have no water. Whatever water source that they had brought, it was spent. Whatever water source they were counting on that would be there to to sustain them. It was gone. It wasn't there for whatever reason. And they are out here in the middle of nowhere. And I want you to see that. And Jehoram, he just declares immediate defeat. Oh, this is it. This is God. He's killing us. This is God. He's, He's judging us. But Jehoshaphat makes a suggestion, doesn't he? He says in verse 11, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord? We may inquire of him. Joshua says, oh, hold on. Let's not give up hope yet. Hold on, let's not, let's not give up just yet. Isn't there, can, can we get a hold of God? At least Jehoshaphat knew to, hey, there's, there's a real God. There's the, there's the true and living God. The God of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and the God of David. And, and let, man, let's, let's, find, let's find this God and, and, and let's ask him for some help. And I love what happens here. Look at verse 11. This is so good. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha. Well, how about that? You mean to tell me that a seven days journey into the middle of nowhere? You mean out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness? Who snuck in with the group? I want to know, what's Elisha doing tagging along with the military? What in the world is he doing just following? Does he always follow the military? Does he always go out in the wilderness? Does he always go on these little trips wherever the king of Israel wants wants to go? I don't think you'll find that support in the Bible. Most of the time he's doing his own thing and he's on his own little mission. But somewhere when Jehoram was getting all these troops together and they were marching out in the wilderness, somewhere along the line, God came to Elisha and said, Elisha, I want you to pack your bags. We're going into the wilderness. I want you to pack your bags. We're heading along with them. And isn't it amazing that out in the middle... no Man, I'm feeling good this morning. Out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a wilderness, there's God! There He is! Man, y'all are too white for me this morning. Bunch of white people. That's good preaching right there. There he is. In fact, I, I circled in my Bible. I circled that word here. There he is. Here he is. You say, where's God? He's right here. You say, preacher, I, you don't know what I've done. I don't care. He's right here. Preacher, I'm out in the middle of the wilderness. He's right here. You say, man, I've done too much. He's still right here. You can't run him off. You can't chase him away. And right in the middle of a wilderness, right in the middle of a bad decision, there's God willing and able to help them. What in the world is a life you're doing out there in the middle of the wilderness. I don't know, but there he is. He's here. He's here. Here he is. Man, the presence of God was with them in their dry place. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to starve to death in the wilderness. You don't have to die of thirst in the wilderness. There is a God that is willing and able and ready to help you if you will just acknowledge Him and call on Him. Elisha didn't make his way to Jehoram. Jehoram had to humble himself and make his way to Elisha. It was only when they got desperate and they decided 
decided to call on God, that's when God made His presence known in the camp. When you going to get desperate enough to call on God, He's there. There He is. Hallelujah. Man, when I saw that, I thought, whoop, glory. There He is. We could even sing, whoop, there it is. Amen. There He is. Here, I underline that in my Bible. Here is Elisha. And I can't tell you how many times I've done something foolish and I've been all, and man, I'm in a dry place and it ain't God's fault and it ain't the church's fault and it ain't the preacher's fault and it ain't some backward Baptist fault. I'll tell you what it is. It's my own fault, my own choices, my own decisions. But all I got to do is just cry out to God. And He says, hey, son, here I am. We see the grace of God manifested in the abiding presence. Here He is. There He is. The most unlikely of places you would ever think Elisha would have been. You understand, they didn't send a telegram. He didn't come from Samaria. He didn't come from Judah. He didn't come from Israel. He was there with them. Here He is. Reach out to Him. Call out to Him. Cast yourself at His feet, at His mercy. You're never all alone. You've never gone too far. We see His grace in the abiding presence of Elisha. There He is. And God is here. No doubt about that. Not only do I see grace in the abiding presence, but let me give you a second manifestation of grace in this text. I see grace in the approved person, is what I want to call it. Not only the abiding presence, but I see the approved person. Now, I'm looking at verse number 13. And it says that Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Man, you know what? I love Elisha. Man, he's just kind of blunt and he's just kind of... Man, here it is. The response that he gives Jehoram, I'm going to tell you what, it's every preacher's fantasy. It's what he wants to say, but he won't say because he's too afraid of God and he's, and, he, and he's fearful. But when somebody that has been rebellious and they've been bucking everything and they've been doing their own thing and then they finally come to the end of themselves and they say, Preacher, I'm just in a mess. A lot of times I won't tell you what the preacher wants to say. Well, why don't, why don't you go get some help from that world you've been messing with? That's what he said. He said, get thee to the prophets of thy father and the prophets of thy mother. He said, what about them prophets of Baal your mom and daddy like? Why don't you go ask them see if they'll help you out? Now look, I don't have the guts to say that out loud. But sometimes I've wanted to. Amen. But we see there's grace. You say, where's the grace at? Okay, it's coming. Hold on, hold on. I had to get my little fantasy out of the way first. But look at what he said at the end of verse 13. Or, well, that's... there's. At the end of verse 13, is Jehoram blaming the sovereignty of God again? Look at verse 14. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. Now look here. Were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. Hold on a second. You know what Elisha tells Jehoram? How many of y'all still with me? All right, because you're going to like his part. All right, hold on. You know what Jehoshaphat, Elisha tells Jehoram? He says, the only reason I'm even going to listen to you, the only reason that I'm even going to look at you, I'm going to regard you, I'm going to have anything to do with you at all is because of that person over there. Jehoram, you're wicked. You're a sinner. 
Jehoshaphat, at least he loves God. He served God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to you on, based on the merits of somebody else. Y'all connecting some dots? Get your crayon out. We got some dots. We got some dots to put together here. He said, he said uh, 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 Jehoram, the only reason I'm going to listen to anything you have to say is because of somebody else. Because Jehoram certainly did not deserve an audience with God. Uh, Jehoram did not deserve to be in the presence of God. He didn't deserve to get any help from God. But there was one person who had gained the approval and gained the attention of God. And can I tell you something about us? We don't deserve to be in God's presence. We don't deserve to get any prayers answered. We deserve to die in the wilderness somewhere. But I am so thankful that my standing in God's presence is not based on my performance, but it is based on the person and the character of somebody else. Man, jumping Jehoshaphat. It looks like Jesus to me. Amen. Looks like a Jesus out there in the wilderness where Elisha said, I don't even want to have anything to do with you, but I will bless you because of Him. I will have grace on you because of Him. I will help you because of Him. And I'm here to tell you, you're not worthy. You never have been. You never will be. But there's one man who has always been the beloved of his Father. He lived a sinless life. He never sinned, not one time, not in thought, not in word, not in deed. And that man said to his Father, Jesus Christ said, I know that He hears me always. He said, I do always those things that please my Father. And can I tell you what, every time you've ever bowed your head to pray, you've never been worthy enough to gain an audience with the God of heaven but I'm glad we have an advocate in heaven Jesus Christ the righteous I'm glad we got an interceder I'm glad we got an intercessor I'm glad we got a mediator I'm glad we got a go-between and God looks on Christ and he blesses you God looked on your sin and he punished Jesus and God looked at Jesus obedience and righteousness and he blessed you for it amen it's called substitution that's the gospel that's why we're all excited in here this morning. Because we know that we don't deserve it. But somebody else earned the favor. Somebody else earned it all and gave us the blessing. Amen. Oh, that Jehoshaphat, man, he's a great... In fact, I almost just preached a message on that. Jumping Jehoshaphat is Jesus. Amen. Because he's a great picture of Jesus. Can I show you? Let me just show you a thing or two here. Look here. I love this. When, when, when Jehoram needed some, when he needed some help, verse 7, he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me to battle? And look at Jehoshaphat, look what he said. Jehoshaphat said, I will go up. I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and my horses are as thy horses. What was he saying? He said, I am going to identify with you. Oh, and isn't that something? Jehoshaphat identified with a wicked king. I mean, a, a wicked, wicked king. In fact, he shouldn't have done it. Can I just tell you, if you read, read, read the account in Chronicles, God judged him because of it. Because every time somebody asked Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was too nice. He wasn't very smart, but he was very, very nice. And every time somebody asked him to help out, Ahab's like, hey, help me. And Jehoshaphat said, okay, I'll help you. And then Ahaziah, you got to read in Chronicles, the, 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 the first king there, the first son of Ahab there that was king, he asked for help. And you know what Joshua said? Okay, I'll help you. 
And then, uh, and then Joseph, and then Jehoram here, he asked for help from uh, uh, from Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat says, "Okay, I'll help you." You know what? It's amazing to me. He never can say no. Anytime somebody asks him for help, he just has to say yes all the time. And God ends up judging him for it. I thought, man, can I think about somebody else who identified with sinners and all the wrath and all the judgment of God fell on him just so he could help us? I don't know. That sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Amen. If you're wanting some good wisdom for the Christian life, Joshua is a good example of what not to do. But if you're wanting a good picture of Jesus, man, he's a great picture of Jesus right there, isn't he? Somebody that identified. I'm so thankful that Jesus, the Bible said, he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen, Jesus shouldn't have anything to do with us at all. We're a bunch of sinners. We're nasty. We're defiled. He's the lovely, pure, holy, spotless, blameless Son of God. But yet He come down anyway and he, identi- he got in the mud with us and He identified Himself with us so that God would bless us on His behalf. How about that? And then it was Jehoshaphat not only that identified with the sinner... But it was Joshua that brought the sinner into the presence of God. It wasn't it Joshua that said, hey, isn't there a prophet here? Isn't there somebody somebody that knows the true and living God that we can ask of him? Whose idea was it? Whose prompting was it? Whose provoking was it? Whose plan was it to bring Jehoram, the sinner, into the very presence of God? Well, it was Jehoshaphat's plan. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He brings us into the very presence of God. And then all the blessings, all the help, all the grace, it all flows to Jehoram through Jehoshaphat and because of Jehoshaphat. I'm going to tell you something. We don't deserve anything. But because of Jesus, we get everything. And our standing is not based on our performance, but it is based on the performance and the merits and the character of somebody else. His name is Jesus. And if you think that you got to earn your way to get God's help, and you say, I'm in a dry place, preacher. I'm in a bad place this morning. You just don't understand. And you're sitting there thinking that you got to clean up or you got to earn something or you got to do better. I'm here to tell you, you don't understand grace this morning because that's not how grace works. We don't get grace because we deserve it. You get grace because you don't deserve it. In fact, that's what grace is. Grace is for the undeserving. If you deserved it, it would not be grace. If you deserved it, it would not be mercy. It would be a wage. It would be a reward. But that's not how this thing works. God doesn't work on the reward system. He's not looking for us to be perfect. I'll tell you what He is. He's looking for somebody that'll put their faith and trust in His perfect Son. I'll tell you what, God will come to you not because you're perfect, but because there is somebody who is. We don't get our prayers answered because He's worthy. We get our prayers answered because Jesus is worthy. And He is praying on our behalf. Isn't that a blessing right there? That's grace. And there's some people, they'll stay away from God. They'll stay away. They're going to they're gonna try to, they're going to live on the fringes or they'll, 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 they'll out, because they think, I can't, listen, I, I, I'm just, it's just, it's bad. I've done too much. I've gone too far and I'll just never be able to earn my way back in. You, don't, you didn't earn your way in. You ain't going to earn your way back in. It's grace. It's all of grace. I see grace in the abiding presence. I see grace in the approved person. And then I'll give you one last one and I'm done. I see grace in the abundant power that we see here. Of course, you come to verse 16 and 17. 
And the command from Elisha is to make this valley full of ditches. And I'm going to come back. I want to deal with those ditches in our Life of Elisha series and what all that is talking about there. Some good, good truths in this. And for thus saith the Lord, verse 17, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And I love verse 18. Here's what I want to get to. It says, And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. You know what? I love it. That's grace in that verse right there. You know what? That's God telling Jehoram, said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do more than what you've even asked for. It's not even Jehoram's getting more than what he deserves, but Jehoram is getting more than what he even asked for. What did Jehoram ask for? We just need some water. We're thirsty. We're going to die. Our animals are going to die. If we don't get this water, we're all, we're all going to die. We need water. That's all he prayed for. But what did he get? He not only got water, but he got what? Victory. He not only got what he needed temporarily, but he, needed, he got what he needed uh, on a long-term basis. We would say if we're making a spiritual application, we would say he got what he needed eternally. And I tell you what, so many people are looking to God to just fulfill their, their temporary needs. God, I, I need this financial help. And God, I need this physical help. And Lord, I need this family help. And God, I need this. And I'm going to tell you something. God is more than able to take care of all that. He is. How many have ever had God come through financially? How many of you have ever had God come through physically answer a prayer? How many have God come through in, in the ministry or in, 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 in your family or something like that? God's answered prayer. I think, I think Brother Lawrence and Miss Helen were uh, praising the Lord this morning Sunday school for answered prayer. I don't even know what all they were praying about, but they were excited that God had answered their prayer. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Thank God for answered prayer. And He does. He, he can help you. He's more than able. He's well capable. He's more than sufficient to do all those things. But I'm going to tell you what, that's a light thing. That's a little thing. That's, that's, those are small things as to what God wants to do in your life. He wants to help you eternally. He wants to not just help you survive. That's what they were praying for. We just want to survive. He said, no, I don't want to just help you survive. It's not enough that I, I, it's not that I, just, I don't want you to be a victim. He said, I want you to be a victor. And there is a difference between just not being a victim and being a victor than just surviving and thriving I'm not talking about having a bunch of money. I'm not talking about everything going your way. I'm talking about spiritual victory in your life. And that's the kind of God we have. He brings us to places where we don't understand and we, we can't and, we're, and we come to the end of ourselves so we can look up and we say, Lord, I just need help surviving. And God says, oh, yeah, I'll help you survive, but I can do a lot more than that for you. His abundant power. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power which worketh in us. Aren't you glad we serve a God that's able, able to do what we need Him to do in our lives? And there's some of you in here, Miss Maddie, you can come around. You might be interested in just survival. So, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to make it another day. Man, I'm just trying to... I'm not, I'm not worried about... I'm not worried about being some super spiritual, victorious Christian. I'm not, that's not even crossing my mind right now. And it may not be. You, you, you may just be at the point and say, man, I just need a miracle today. I just need God to do something today. I just need something right now. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to get up on Monday morning and get through the day uh, without going crazy, without losing my mind. And I'm here to tell you, listen, God's a Monday morning God. He'll help you on Monday morning. But He's much more than that. That's a light thing.
That's a little thing. He's an eternal God. He wants to help you not just survive Monday, but he'll help you thrive every single day of the week for his honor and his glory. You can live the victorious Christian life if you're unsaved. Listen, God's not, just, God's not just concerned about filling up your belly and filling up your bank account and making you happy and then letting you drop off into hell when you die. Listen, He can provide for your temporary needs. That's a little thing. God has a bigger picture in mind. He wants to save your soul. Listen, if you're living worldly and carnal and defeated and fleshly, listen, God not only wants to help you with, your, with your, the, the, what has brought you to this place of desperation, He will help you. He can help you with that. But He wants to do much more than that in your life. He's got abundant power. But we've got to get to that place, don't we? Where we'll call out to Him and say, Lord, help me. Lord, please help me. Maybe you're in a dry place this morning. I'm just here to tell you, all I'm here to do this, this morning is just to point you to the one who can help you and say, hey, there is grace. Say, well, I'm here. I've made a bunch of bad choices and stupid decisions. and I'm, I'm, I've made my own bed, and now I'm just going to have to lie in it. Well, there are consequences for actions, but I'm telling you what, what else there are. There's, there's grace. There's grace. You'll never go wrong. You'll never fix a bad decision with more bad decisions. You'll never fix the consequences of getting away from God by getting further away from God. Call out to God in your desperate hour and watch and see what He'll do in your life. Let's stand.